Hi, Cornerstone. Good to see you. This is Tina. Today I'll be doing the scripture reading. Please turn to First John chapter three, verse eleven to twenty-four. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We shall not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. This is the word of Lord. Good morning. Cornerstone. It's good to be with you again. You know, at a time before the internet existed, a man and a woman who had been corresponding solely by mail fell in love with one another. And they agreed to meet at the airport for the first time. And since they had never seen each other, they had not shared uh, photographs with each other, they devised this plan that would help them recognize each other. So the woman had agreed to wear a green sweater, or a green scarf, I mean, a green hat, and a green carnation pinned to her coat. So it was a green scarf, green hat, and a green carnation. And so when the man arrived and he got off the plane, he immediately began looking around for the woman. And suddenly he saw a woman with a green scarf, a green hat, and a green carnation, and his heart fell because he realized she was probably the ugliest woman he had ever seen. And so he immediately thought like of getting back on the plane and not approaching her, but that quickly vanished. And uh, so he walked over to this woman and he smiled and he introduced himself. And then immediately that woman said, what is this all about anyway? Uh, you know, I don't know who you are. And that woman over there said, I'll give you $5 if you put on these things and wear them for me. 
And so immediately the man looked over at the woman that was mentioned, and to his surprise, she was the most, one of the most beautiful women he had ever seen. So he walked over and approached that woman, the woman he had been corresponding with. And this woman explained to him, after a little, after they're greeting each other, she said, all my life, men have wanted to be with me, to be my friend because of my looks. They considered me beautiful. I want someone to love me, uh, not just because of how I look, my outsides, but for what I am inside. Now, this woman tested the love of this man. She wanted to see if his love was more than just skin deep, uh, more than words that he had written in his letters. And it was. And he passed the test. Today's scripture text of 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, is also a love test. A test for followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to see if we truly bear the mark of a Christian. Now, we continue our study of this New Testament letter of 1 John and the series of uh, studying this letter and also the letters of 2 and 3 John. Uh, we call it Walking Like Jesus. Now, John, who was the author of these letters, they're named after him. Um, he was one of the 12 men that Jesus chose to be his followers. Now, there was a lot of other followers Jesus, who followed Jesus, but Jesus chose and picked out these 12, we call the, his disciples. And, and John also, besides these letters we're looking at, wrote the Gospel of John and also the book of Revelation, all in the New Testament. Now, John wrote 1 John to encourage churches in what the then Roman province of Asia, which we know today as Turkey. And he did this because, as we saw earlier in chapter 2 of 1 John, John mentions these people that had left the churches there. They had removed themselves from the house churches that were in this area. And these people were false teachers spreading confusion about Jesus and his teachings, while still calling themselves followers of Jesus. And Christians were struggling to know who were true followers of Jesus and who were not. And some Christians were even being led astray by some of these people, who John called children of the devil. And in chapter 3, verse 10, this, the verse that uh, is right before our text today of 11 through 24, John gave two very telling ways of how to distinguish those who are children of the devil from those who are children of God. The children of the devil are unrighteous and unloving. Verse 10 sets up our text today, uh, saying, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, the language here does not mean a one-time act. We keep stressing this in 1 John, and we need to. It's, it's not a one-time act, but a life habit, a regular practice of living. And the Apostle Paul also stresses this in his letter to the Galatians, 
chapter 5, verse 21, when he lists the acts of the sinful nature and then writes these words, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The way we live, our regular practice reveals what we truly believe. And God is ultimately concerned with the state of our hearts. And the way we live flows from what we truly believe in our hearts. And so the purpose of this letter is to give confidence to the true followers of Jesus in their salvation and their eternal life in Christ. It's to give us confidence. And verses 11 through 24, our text today, stress that love is the evidence of a true believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the mark of a Christian. Now, the mark of Christians is our love for one another. And this is how our text starts in verse 11 of 1 John chapter 3. It says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, this phrase, from the beginning, uh, simply means that this command comes from the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus commanded his followers in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, saying, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. A mark is a distinctive trait or a characteristic. And people of the world will observe a person is a follower of Jesus by their love for others, and especially their love for other believers, followers of Jesus. People will especially notice when Christians do not demonstrate love for one another. And a Christian without love, uh, a good friend of mine once said, is like a square without corners. Uh, as you can see, it looks similar to a square, but it's not a square. And John first gives an example of what love is not. And verse 2 brings up the example of Cain and Abel. Verse 12 says, We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. They were brothers, Cain and Abel. And Abel did what was right in God's eyes. And Cain harbored hatred toward Abel because of him doing what was right. And so he murdered him. And many times... When we do what is right, our actions will expose the evil acts of those around us, and they will hate us for that. That's why John says in verse 13, Do not be surprised, brothers, that, you, that the world hates you. A Christian brother once shared with me that his boss actually came to him and asked him to lie on a report to make his boss look good. He was supposed to alter some numbers. And, you know, after just thinking about it shortly, this brother refused to do so. And um, 
and his boss was furious and made this Christian brother's life even more difficult than it already had been serving under this boss. You see, the world often hates us when we follow the commands of God and do what is right according to them. Now, Cain is the prime example of this, uh, of what love is not. It is not the practice of hatred toward our brother or whoever is in our life towards someone else. As verse 15 emphasizes, any or everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. A person who lives with hate is one who does not dwell in Christ by faith. Now, when we say, remember, this is not a one-time act. This is a regular practice who lives with hate in their heart. That means they live by hate. So as followers of Jesus, we can have confidence that we are truly following and believing in Jesus as Lord if we practice loving one another. And this is the outward working of an inward faith in the Lord. Verse 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Love is the evidence of real faith in Jesus. John borrowed this analogy from Jesus himself of going from death to life, of crossing that barrier. When Jesus said in John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Trust in Jesus as Lord is essential to receive eternal life in God. Loving one another is the mark of that transition, is that we are now in Christ, and He is in us. And the love that He has for us and for the world is flowing out through us to those around us. And this is why it is very important to try and reconcile with a brother or sister in Christ with whom we have a conflict. You know, we've we've butt up against each other. We can't agree, and it gets ugly. And if there is someone you can think of right now um, that you're not speaking to because of a fight or a conflict, then try and be reconciled to them. This is what God's love wells up within us to motivate us to do. And that is why Jesus said to resolve things quickly as possible, saying, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. Now notice here it says if someone has something against you. So it's not even that you may not have a problem with them, but they have a problem with you. And you remember that, so there's still that conflict. You need to go and try to reconcile. And we need to reconcile. Reconciliation. We've got to try and do this with those who we have wronged or who have wronged us. Unresolved conflict is unhealthy for the body of Christ 
and can lead to division and definitely to a poor witness to the unbelieving world. Besides, it eats away at us like a cancer and until it's resolved and healed. Now, we may try to ignore it and pretend it's not there if we have conflict with people, but it is always eating at us and draining our energy until it is resolved, until we are reconciled. I remember a time when I felt this wedge, like a, a wedge growing between me and a, a brother in Christ at, some, at one point in the past. And, I, and it grew to the point where we could not speak to each other. It was very unfortunate. It was horrible. And we both were actively serving in the church and even serving together in things. But this wall was like between us. And it consumed me. It, 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 we tried to reconcile, and it was tough to do so. But until we were reconciled, until this conflict between us was brought out into the open and dealt with and resolved, um, it was just consuming so much of my energy. And once it was resolved, oh, it was such a relief. You know, our text continues in 1 John 3.16 with the best model of love there is, our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now this is an amazing truth of Christianity. We don't just believe in a God that, that tells us what to do and expects us to do it, but we believe in a God who demonstrated what we are to do by his own model. So he, does, he commands us to love one another. Well, the best example of that love is what he did himself by sending his son to die on our behalf for our sins. And it's, it's amazing that our God is showing his love to us by giving up his own life for our benefit. Jesus said in his ministry, and again, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has none, no one than this, that they lay down their life for his friends. That he uh, laid down, he laid down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us. He's not just telling us to do it, but he did it himself. And that we are to be willing to do the same for others. So then, in 1 John 3, 17 then, he challenges us. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If we shut our heart to the need of a brother or sister that we see in our life, that we know of and become aware of, and we don't do anything to help them when, with the resources God has given us, then how can the love of God be in us? It's basically saying in a different way, then the love of God is not in us if we do not seek to help them, assist them from the resources God has graciously given us. Uh, or maybe we could say it this way. If we see someone lonely and alone, isolated, and we don't reach out to connect to them to show God's love, then how can the love of God be in us? Now, we may try to reach out and they reject us, and that's a process, but 
reaching out in itself is a showing of God's love. Now, the point John makes here is that love is action. It's not just words. Verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is not a feeling. It is a commitment to action that benefits the person that we love or that we have chosen to show our love to. We can love people we don't like through our actions. If love is action, then our love for one another will be visible to the world and to each other. When Christians do not demonstrate any visible love for those around them, the world notices this. They point to it as like evidence that Christianity is really nothing special. Um, Brennan Manning who was born in New York, uh, is an author, a priest, and a speaker. He once said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And I've mentioned the book before called Unchristian by Dave Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. Many of those outside the Christian faith were surveyed to have formed their negative views of Christianity solely based on Christians they know. Pastor Dave Gibbons put it well, saying, The world is tired of hearing the gospel preached by the church. They want to see it practiced by the church. If God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, to die for the sins of the world out of his, the love that he has for the world, then, what, then we as the church of God, why don't we love the world, the people of the world as well? If the love of God is in us, then we will. That is the mark of a Christian. Jesus died for the world that rejected him. They killed him. And yet he laid down his life for their sins and their salvation and our salvation and eternal life so that we could have it through faith in him. That is love in action. Let's get practical. How can love be visible? Well, I would say in in the church community, And throughout the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, you can see this, hospitality is an obvious way to show love. Just by acknowledging someone's worth, by inviting them to have a meal together. Now, today in COVID, it might be a little tricky. But still, working that out, when was the last time you invited someone or treated someone to a meal? You paid for it. And even you don't need to pay for it. You can just invite them to go out. But the hospitality is that we are inviting them and paying for their meal, providing for them to be a part of our, uh, you know, communing with them in that sense. Inviting them into our home, which would be, uh, you need to be careful today. But still, seeking to show hospitality. Today, it could be a phone call, checking up on them. Um, and, And not only to one another within the body, but to those in our lives that we have contact with. Showing hospitality is one obvious, visible way of showing the love of God. 
to people. We need to be hospitable to the people that God brings into our lives. And this costs us money, time, effort, but we will benefit from it as well because it is God working through us. Another practical way, it means that when I have failed to show my Christian love to a brother or sister in, in Christ, I go to them and I say, I'm sorry. You know, this is not an easy thing to do in our groups, uh, in our church, in our families. When we have shown a lack of love to another, we as Christians don't automatically go and say we're sorry. Right? It doesn't come natural to us. Um, this action requires the work of God in our heart to enable us to go and say we're sorry. And that is evidence of the love of God in us. Because we care that what the way we mistreated our brother or sister. Love is also visible through practically forgiving someone when they have wronged us, when they have hurt us, when they have treated us unfairly or unjustly, and we forgive them. And this is evident to them and the world by the way we treat them, interact with them after the wrong has been done. So when someone hurts me, my forgiveness speaks loudly to them of the love of God in a practical way. And forgiveness frees us to move on and not be immobilized by the hurt that has been done to us by the other person. Now, while Jesus commanded us Christians to love one another, this doesn't mean only Christians, because Jesus greatly expanded this command to include the world um, and even including those who hate us and even our enemies. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, for example, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. You know, Jesus didn't teach us to love our enemies for their good. He taught us to love our enemies for our own good because it is to keep us from becoming like the enemy. We become like God himself when we love our enemy. People need love. The people who need love are especially those who don't deserve it because that is how God showed his love and therefore it flows through us in the same way. Ernest Gordon wrote about this kind of love in his book, Through the Valley of the Kwai, in which he describes spending a large part of World War II as a prisoner in Thailand on the banks of the River Kwai. He worked on a railway with the Japanese, that the Japanese were building during that war, and over 12,000 Allied prisoners died in, um, from starvation uh, while this railway was being built. Uh, using them as slave labor. And he writes, um, we found ourselves, I, I'm going to just read this section of the book. We found ourselves on the same track with several carloads of Japanese wounded after we were freed from the Kwai prison camp. These unfortunates were on their own without medical care, no longer fit for action in Burma. They had been packed into railway cars, which were being returned to Bangkok. 
They were in shocking state. I've never seen men filthier. Uniforms were encrusted with mud and blood and excrement. Their wounds sorely inflamed and full of pus, crawling with maggots. The maggots, however, in eating the putrefying flesh probably prevented gangrene. It was apparent why the Japanese were so cruel to their prisoners. If they didn't care for their own, why should they care for us? The wounded looked at us forlornly as they sat with their heads resting against the carriages, waiting for death. They had been discarded as expendable and the the refuse of war. And these were the enemy. They were more defeated than we had ever been. Without a word, most of the officers in my section unbuckled their packs, took out part of their ration and a rag or two, and, with water canteens in their hands, went over to the Japanese train. Our guards tried to prevent us, bawling, no goodka, no goodka, but we ignored them and knelt down by the enemy to give water and food, to clean and bind up their wounds, and grateful cries of arigato came from the the Japanese soldiers and followed us as we left to return to our own train. I regarded my comrades with wonder. Eighteen months ago, they would have joined readily in the destruction of our captors when they had fallen into their hands. Now these same officers were dressing the enemy's wounds. We had experienced a moment of grace there in those blood-stained railway cars. God had broken through the barriers of our prejudice and had given us the will to obey His command, love your neighbor. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 32, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And you've heard the statements, People don't care what we know until they know we care. Actions speak louder than words. And these describe love in action. Love is the mark of a Christian. When we evaluate our lives, when we evaluate uh, us as a church community in Cornerstone, do we demonstrate the visible love of God by our love and our actions toward those in our lives? Do we bear the mark of being followers of Jesus, the mark of love, His love flowing through us? May the Spirit of Christ shine brightly through you and me and us, His church here in Somerset, so that the world may know that we are followers of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and be attracted to Him by what we do on His behalf and for His glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that we fail at times in showing love to others, when we are rude to them, when we, are, uh, we let our anger uh, dictate the way we um, selfishly feel at that moment. And we know, Lord, that you have already forgiven us in Christ Jesus our Lord and that your Spirit is transforming us and desiring for us to follow His lead so that we can be your love on the earth visibly drawing people to Christ, pointing people to Jesus as Lord and Savior, the loving God who gave himself 
for them, for their forgiveness. Lord, we are the message in one sense on earth. We are your body acting on your behalf for your glory about your truth, sharing that truth. And may we be active in doing so, so that your love may be visible through us, your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, God bless.